1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, listen to these words here. Do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Why did he say that? Could we fool ourselves? Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, and you could also say lesbianism, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. Now notice what he said about all these groups of people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. What does it mean to inherit the kingdom of God? That means they will not enter into the gates of heaven. Now that's pretty strong, would you agree? For the Apostle Paul to say, and that's pretty strong for me to start out my message. But he goes further and says this to give some hope. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is that good news? So in the midst of all that challenge, he gave them good news. They were that way. Corinth was, um, uh, really both sides of Corinth were, uh, it's an isthmus, if I pronounce that right. On either side, there were, uh, there were seaports and people from all over the world came to sell their wares in Corinth. And Corinth became a very uh, sexually loose and immoral culture. They worshipped pagan gods. And in uh, Bible days, to worship pagan gods, most pagan gods, if you go read history and read the history of paganism and go read the history of pagan gods, then you'll find most pagan gods were worshipped through ritualistic sex orgies. That's not great to say on Sunday morning, but I have to tell you the truth. And so they had, uh, they had uh, pagan temples in, in, in Corinth. And the people would come to pay their respects to a pagan god in Corinth in a, in a temple. And they would end up uh, uh, being sexually intimate with a, with a paid prostitute. So people came to the Lord. And they came to the Lord, but the men said, well, I enjoy that pagan temple. I think I'll know Jesus and I'll go to the pagan temple. Paul said, don't do it. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he challenged the behaviors that were produced by this atmosphere they were living in. And the problem that we all have is we live in an atmosphere that is saturated with something in whatever culture you're in. In American culture, our atmosphere is saturated in sex in all kinds of ways. Would you agree with that? sensuality, sexuality, it's in what we say, it's in our music, it's in the way we dress, it's in our colloquialisms, it's everywhere, and God's seeking to call us out in that. So last week I talked about walking with God in a nation of compromise, and I mentioned that compromise is everywhere, and then I mentioned uh, three words, complacency, complacent, commonplace, which we have to deal with as believers, as Christians in this culture. Looked at ten symptoms of complacency. If you weren't here last week, go get the video. Go watch the MP4. It's on our website, and my notes are also on our website. And today, if you want to follow along with me, my notes are on U Version. If you'll open up the U Version app of the Bible and just open it up, and uh, once you open it up, and uh, you see the bottom of the page, it says more dot dot dot. Click it. 
and then go to uh, events, and then you'll see a map. Victory Church is on the map. My notes are there right now. And I'll hopefully follow them to some degree. Last week, I gave 21 areas where America is currently compromising. And I didn't pull any punches when I talked about it. And, um, you know, this is where we're living, and these are the kinds of things we're dealing with. And the problem is the church in America is doing very little to address the problems in our culture. You come into church, the church world behind four walls and you hear a good pick-me-up, God's going to bless me message. While it's true that God wants to bless his people and help us meet our needs, answer our prayers, he also wants us to counter the culture outside these walls. Yes or no? So as a whole, we've not done a great job of doing that. And the truth is uh, many times uh, people, believers, uh, actually get involved in the lifestyles of the, of the culture that they live in, and that's been true for the last 2,000 years of the church age, and it's certainly true in America today. We've got believers today. They say, I love Jesus, but they have no problem on this first, second date, or third date having sex with somebody. That's called, the Bible calls that fornication. Or, or you know, the modern thing is, uh, before you marry somebody, live with them to see if it's a match. Well, how many know that's called sin? That happens outside with non-Christians, but how many know it's starting to happen in the Christian population, yes or no? We also have problems with homosexuality and lesbianism. It's not popular to talk about these topics, but the Bible is very, very clear, and I want to show you why today, that we need to broach these topics and lovingly, lovingly let people know what our God is like. Because if you know God the way I know Him, when He invades your life, He changes who you are. He changes how you live. How many hear what I'm saying? So we talked about this, and um, how many know the whole problem, the problems that we're facing today, there is no, there is no uh, uh, politician available in the world anywhere that's able to uh, cure the problems that we have as a culture. It, because it's not a political problem, our problems are heart problems. We're a sinful race, and that's something that we don't mention uh, in the church of the Lord Jesus. We're sinful at the core. Um, I'm going to say this several times as I go through this series of uh, lessons. Jeremiah 17, 9, Jeremiah decried the sins of Judah just before judgment came, and they were taking off of the land that God promised them and went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. But he was challenging them, and he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And that's the problem that we have today. It's not a political problem. How many know it's a heart problem? It's an inside problem. Jesus said, Matthew 15, 19, From the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. And you find some of these sins not only in our culture, but they've crept into the church world. And where do they come from? They come from the heart. So um, I'll get to this later, but uh, it's possible that a person can have a false conversion. That is, with, a, they, they, with their head they say, I love Jesus. But if I say yes to Jesus with my head, but my lifestyle never changes, then that yes never affected my heart. So anyway, I'm just going to lay that right there, come back to it perhaps in a little bit. But uh, I got six points I want to cover today. I think I can do it in a fairly timely way. Uh, so I've got, first of all, a question. The point number one is a question. What is God like to you? I mean, really, when you think about God, what's his character like? What's he like? 
How does he act? How does he respond? It's a good question. I want to submit today, the title of this is God Unfiltered, that we see God right now in America through an American filter. Now, again, I've mentioned that I've been to a number of other nations and I've preached and uh, not pastored, but preached and taught. And uh, uniquely, particularly in America, we've got a different concept of God even than the Bible has. And it's a concept that kind of fits what we like. It fits our lifestyle. It fits what we want to do. And um, hmm, most people in America who believe in God, this is from my notes, believe he's loving, kind, benevolent, and he's a really nice sort of grandfatherly-like figure. You know what I mean? Just kind of winks. And I mentioned this last week. um, And the majority of people in America see God as a God of love. And the idea here is, since God loves me. Now listen, this is it. Here's the idea in America about God. Since God is love and God loves me, then regardless of what I do, He understands me. Yes or no? And, and because he loves me, and because he understands me, even regardless of what I do, he understands why I do, he knows my weaknesses and such. And because of that, because of his love, when I die, I go to heaven. I want that to be true, but I'm not sure that's true. You know, I came to Jesus, and this dates me, 1976, September 12th. 1976, I was 17. I turned 18 in October. And the early 70s, I mentioned last week, we had a, a Jesus movement. We had the sexual revolution in America in the, late, in the 1960s, and you got the Beatles coming out, all these bands, and, and then you got Woodstock and all that, 1969, 70s. But something happened. God countered that sexual revolution with a with um, a jesus movement and you got all kind of little phrases pass it on and and uh you know people are saying jesus loves you and then even uh how many ever heard of the band the doobie brothers well they came up with a song and i used to sing this jesus is just all right with me jesus is just all right oh yeah jesus is just all right with me Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. And then the next part, Jesus is my friend. But see, they're singing that song while they're smoking the doobie. A weed, some weed, some dope, pot. Taking some, taking some hallucinogenic drugs. Drinking. Involve themselves in various forms of sexual promiscuity out in public. Various forms of nakedness. Jesus is just all right with me. Now, you know, to me, that epitomizes the American culture today. Jesus, you love me. Just let me do what I do. Let me do what I like. Let me satisfy my flesh. We'll just get along just great. See, that's the idea today. Number two, Psalm 50 describes well the new American filter that we have put on God. So, y'all, you're looking at me like, are you talking about this? Yep. So, understand, I'm a pastor, and I love you, and I realize probably the... The majority of people in this room are probably walking with God, seeking to do right. But I need to say this for people who aren't in this room and for people who may hear this wherever. How many hear me? No kidding. Uh, So um, 
just, just bear with me and let me share some things. Psalm 50 describes well the New American filter. Psalm 50, listen to verse 16. And this is New Living Translation. But God says to the wicked, why bother reciting my decrees and pretending to obey my covenant? And then he challenges the wicked. The wicked is a person who maybe says they know God, but they don't walk with him or live according to his plans. For ye refuse my discipline and treat my words like trash. What does that mean? Well, if I lie, and I know I shouldn't, but I lie on my income tax, and I lie to make a sale, you know, for my sales office, how many know I'm throwing his word in the trash? Or if I choose to look at some pornography because I'm feeling bad today, how many know I'm throwing his word in the trash? Or if I choose to be intimate sexually with someone else, and I'm not married, I'm throwing His Word in the trash. Yes or no? When you see thieves, He says, you approve of them. And you spend time with adulterers. Now maybe you don't have, maybe you don't physically, but you know what? We go to the movies and you're going to see some adultery. And now you see homosexuality, lesbianism, all types of fornication and illicit sex. And now we even use those, uh, we, use, um, we use phrases and terms from all kinds of things that we should not say. So he says here, you spend your time with adulterers. Your mouth is filled with wickedness, like I just mentioned, and your tongue is full of lies. You sit around and slander your brother. Or today he would say, you know, you're taken to uh, Twitter and Facebook and, and Snapchat and other things, and you're saying things about people you wouldn't say to their face. You're slandering them. You're slandering your brother, your own mother's son. While you did all this, I remained silent. You thought I didn't care. New King James uh, grabbed my attention on this verse 21. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. Y'all, that grabs me. That's where we live today. How many hear me? Um, J.C. Ryle, this is a, Century, over a century ago, this was a minister in England. He died in 1900, and he had a ministry all in England in a big way. J.C. Ryle, here's a quote. Listen to what he said uh, over a hundred years ago. Be, uh, he said, beware of manufacturing a God of your own, a God who is all mercy but not just, a God who is all love but not holy, a God who has a heaven for everybody, but a hell for none. A God who can allow good and bad to be side by side in time, but will make no distinction between good and bad in eternity. Such a God is an idol of your own, he says, as truly as an idol as any snake or crocodile in an Egyptian temple in his day. The hands of your own fancy and sentimentality have made him this God. He is not the God of the Bible, and beside the God of the Bible, there is no God at all. That could have been written today. We're fulfilling what he wrote, and that's over a hundred years ago. And friends, it's a dangerous, dangerous way to think. Would you agree? Um, Michael Brown, I have a book uh, by Michael Brown, I think it was written in 2016, uh, and I've been reading through it, and it's entitled, The Fire That Never Sleeps. And Michael Brown said this, we create a God in our image who not only loves us unconditionally, but unconditionally accepts all of our practices, values, and sinful expressions. 
And then Michael made the comment. I've never seen moral defection on this level. It's a challenge, right? Big difference today in the church world is that in all of the ministry that we have and all of the mega churches that we have, the middle-sized churches, the smaller churches, I think we have somewhere in the neighborhood of almost 400,000 churches in America. By and large, the majority of churches have learned that if you're going to draw a crowd, you've got to say something positive to the people so that they'll come back and listen to you again. Else, they won't even come back to hear what you have to say. And uh, the Apostle Paul called that itching ears. And, um, and so you stray away from anything negative, only say positive. I want to say that if you go read through the New Testament, the epistles, the letters written to the churches by the Apostle Paul and Peter and John, and uh, you will find uh, them saying some very tough and challenging things about sin. Question, why don't we say that today? Because it's not popular. It doesn't draw a crowd. When I was young, you know, and when I was young, that again dates me in the 60s I was going to a Southern Baptist church thank God for the Southern Baptists who preached the word and um, and I had I heard sermon after sermon about sin about hell about the wrath of God most people today don't even know there is the wrath side of God that God is not only a God of love but also a God of justice how many hear me is it true or not when I was a little boy, I would come through going on, well, a little boy, I grew up, I was dating and, uh, you know, living my own life, living, you know, in, you know, whatever way I lived and going through the living room. And here's Billy Graham. Here's Billy Graham, prime time, seven o'clock, uh, you know, one of the main, uh, one of the main broadcasting stations at the time. And, and he's in a big stadium. There are tens of thousands of people in the stadium and he's preaching the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through, etern- through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's talking about sin. He's calling sin what it is. And peace people are listening. And people by the thousands at the conclusion would respond to his salvation call and give their hearts to Jesus. Isn't that something? And I looked at it uh, with awe as a little boy thinking, what are they doing or why are they doing that? Now I understand that God had a mandate on his life to to share the gospel with our nation. And uh, we just don't do that today. I wonder if Billy Graham would be welcome in the stadiums today like he was in the 60s and 70s and even part of the 80s there. Notice what Jesus, number three, notice what Jesus said about how we think and live. Now, this is challenging to me. This is really honestly challenging. I'm a believer. You're a believer. We walk with God. But what, when Jesus says this, uh, I mean, he just calls it like it is. Not everyone who calls out to me, Matthew 7, 21. Lord, no, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. How would we say that today? Not everybody who says they're a believer will go to heaven. That's challenging. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Verse 22, on judgment day, many, now he didn't say few, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. Now, now you know what that tells me? He's including people who say they're in ministry. Does that challenge you? It challenges me, y'all. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. 
I look at that in awe like, God, really? Jesus, really? You got to say, boy, I mean, if you said that in church today, Jesus, you'd run everybody off. He says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So you see what Jesus did there? Jesus said there's a difference to God in a person who says, I'm a believer, and who acts like a believer. Again, don't misunderstand. We live in the age of the grace of God. But if the grace of God has touched my life, it also touches how I live my life. And if the grace of God has touched my life and it hasn't changed how I live my life, then the grace of God has never entered my desperate heart and changed who I am. That's what Jesus say it's saying. Jesus had a half-brother, James, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament. And James, uh, in fact, the church fathers who were uh, deciding which scriptures would be included in what we know as the Bible today, the 66 books we call the Bible, when they came to the book of James, I mean, they really had a challenge because chapter 2 of James challenged the, the, the elders in the church at the time. And, and they, they went back and forth. Is James, the half-brother of Jesus, in James chapter 2 saying that we're saved by works and not by grace? If he's saying that we're saved by works and not by grace, then there is a problem. James said faith without works, faith without corresponding action, faith without life changes dead because it's alone. And, you know, they finally said, well, this is, this is going to be part of the, part of the Bible. We, we see what he's saying. And what he was saying was when the grace of God touches you, it changes what you think. It changes your heart content, changes what you want to do. And if what I want to do never changes, then I've never really changed inside. And then John picked up on this in 1 John 3, verse 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And then he clarifies it so well in verse 10. He says, so now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers, does not belong to God. Now, if, if, if John said that today, in the average local church, the pastor would say, appreciate you being here today. Here's your offering. But he had never invited him back. Yes or no? I mean, really, y'all? So I'm challenged by what I'm saying. Contrary number four, contrary to the contrived, permissive American culture God. The God of the Bible. There's one word that describes his character. And that's all it takes. It's the word holy. Holy. The Hebrew word in the Hebrew Bible is kadosh. The Greek word is hagios. In the Old Testament, Judaism was a monotheistic religion. And there were polytheistic religions everywhere around Israel. Monotheistic means they believe in one God. The Lord our God is one God. The cultures around them, they worshipped multitudes of gods. In India today, there's over 300 million gods. Everything's a god. 
The weather was controlled by God. The sun was controlled by God. The moon was controlled by God. The crop growth was controlled by God. Your wife conceiving a child was controlled by God. Say, God's for everything. There was a God of food, a God of pleasure, a God of this, God of that. Israel came, there's there's, there's one God. And, And you describe him as holy. And that word holy, let's get down my notes a little bit here, literally means separateness, brightness. Freshness, separation from the secular or everything else. The idea is, here's a being that's not like anything you've ever, ever, ever known. He's holy. Separateness. And when the Israelites described God and said, Kadosh, the people around go, what? Because their gods, they worship their God in sexual revelry, orgies. Sex, men with men, men with women, women with women, adultery, fornication, sex with animals, sex with everything went. But when Israel approached, no, we serve the holy God. Now that's amazing. What we don't hear today is that God is holy. We hear that God is love all the time, but we do not grasp the holiness of God. If we understood the holiness of God, then we'd let go of some things we're holding on to. We'd turn off some things we're listening to. We'd shut up and shut our ears to some things we hear. We'd watch some things that we say. And there's a lot of behaviors that would have to change if we understood that God is holy. It's the holiness of God that sent Jesus to the cross. The reason we we don't have people getting saved in America like you do see in other countries is we don't think we need salvation because we're constantly, constantly hearing, well, you're just really good. Well, you're just really a good person. I am not a good person. You know, years ago, the psychologist wrote a book, I'm okay, you're okay. The whole idea of that is you got a little spark of divinity in you. All you need is a little bit of information, a little bit of education, and you'll just fan that spark. You'll just blow that spark of goodness into, into a wonderful life. So the person that has a problem, you just need some education. No, if i got a problem, I need a new heart. Jesus said you must be born again. How many hear me? It's the holiness of God. And because we don't understand that we have a spiritual problem that needs the new birth, then people don't understand there needs to be a radical heart change that is only experienced by those who confess Jesus Christ as their Savior and are born again. How many hear me? And why is that so important? Well, why is Jesus so important? And now in our culture, you know, Jesus is just all right with me. Buddha's all right with me. Allah's all right with me. Confucius is all right with me. All of the gods of the, of the Hindu, that's all right with me. And you can't say anything like Jesus said in John 14 when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus is, is God's response to his holiness and his love for us. Because God loves us, because God is holy, God is also just. 
God is upright. God is fair. And because God is pristine purity, he can't get near anything that's impure because it'll shake like that mountain shook in Exodus 19 because it will be obliterated by his very visage and his presence. And that's the reason nothing unholy and impure or unhallowed can go to heaven. Because God is not just love, God is also holy. And God in his love responded to his own holiness by sending his son Jesus to live just like we did. To face all of our temptations, tests, trials, challenges. And he faced them successfully without saying a word that's wrong. Without ever yielding to lust and avarice and gossip and cheating and swindling. He lived a perfectly sinless life. And then at the end of his life, at 33 and a half years, Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin. Why? Because of the holiness of God, because of the justice of God, because God can't get near sin. Huh? One sin had Adam and Eve removed from the Garden of Eden. One sin caused a little man named Uzzah who put his hand on the Ark of the Covenant as it was about to fall on the ground. And the Ark of the Covenant, Old Testament, contained the presence of God. And he put his hand where God was and and he died. One sin kept Moses out of Canaan's land. One sin called Nadab and Abihu, who were Aaron, the high priest's sons, to drop dead when they offered strange fire before the Lord. Why? Because of the holiness of God. Acts chapter 5, New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Ghost and fell down dead. Why? The whole reason for all that is because God is holy. Number five. Notice the references to God being holy. Leviticus eleven forty four. For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy. For I am holy. God appeared, it's not in my notes, God appeared to Moses when he was 80 years of age in the desert. A bush was on fire. He approached the bush. And out from the bush, God spoke and said, Take your shoes off. The place you stand is holy ground. Take your shoes off. There's dung and dust and mess. Clean up. Leviticus 20 verse 7. Set yourselves apart to be holy. For I'm the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice. For I'm the Lord who makes you holy. That's when he begins to say. What I am I want you to be. Leviticus 20, 26, you shall be holy unto me for I'm the, I the Lord am holy and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. Let me ask you a question. If God said to the old covenant people who had hearts of stone, not hearts of flesh, did not have the Holy Spirit living in them, lived according to the letter of the law, the Ten Commandments, if God could say to them, I want you to be holy, do you think, do you think, in the New Testament, to his, his born-again, Spirit-filled believers who have the Holy Spirit living in them, would it be the same God who would say, once you know me, live any way you want to live because I love you? No, the mandate, y'all, is still the same. He's the same holy God. Yes or no? First Peter 1, so you must live. Verse 14, as God's obedient children, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy 
Hagios, Kadosh, in everything you do. Set apart just as God who chose you is set apart. For then the scripture says, you must be holy because I'm holy. Hebrews 12, 14, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Why? Because unholiness can't get into his presence and it takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse the unholiness from us. Would you agree with that? Sure. Matthew 5, 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. And then the psalmist, I love this. Psalm 24, 3 and 4, who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, only those whose hands and hearts are pure. I've got several other passages in my notes, but lastly, number six, because God is holy, listen, he's calling the church in America today to physical, mental, and spiritual purity. How many hear me? When I was a young man, I memorized Hebrews 4.13. Neither is there any creature that's not made manifest in his sight. But all things, this is King James, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of whom we have to do or have to reckon. Wow. Now I was... 18 when I memorized that. It shocked me. It still shocks me. Listen to the verbiage. Listen to the New Testament. Listen to the letters that were written to the church about how we should live as believers. Here's 2 Corinthians. Corinthians. Y'all okay? 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Don't team up with those who were unbelievers. How can righteousness be partners with wickedness? He calls the believer righteousness. He has right standing with God. How can light live with darkness? The believer's light, the unbeliever's darkness. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple? He calls the believer God's temple while the Holy Spirit lives in us. The what kind of spirit? Oh, the set-apart spirit. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, what, what union can there be between God's temple and idols? He calls, the, he calls the non-Christian an idol. Why? Because he's serving himself. And his very desires and his, and his lifestyle to go after them take the place of God and hence it becomes idolatry. If I love what I want to do more than what God said, I'm an idolater. Yes or no? That's challenging, y'all. There's a lot of idolaters in the church today in America. I've practiced idolatry. I've had to repent, y'all. How many hear me? When I want what I want, when God says don't, more than what God says, I'm an idolater. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them, walk among them, I will be their God. And they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. And that is not live a segregated life, but a separated life. Segregation means you don't go dear. Separation means you live in the middle of, but you don't partake with. Yes or no? Separate yourselves from them. Don't touch their filthy things. That means I, that means I can fellowship with you at work. I can see you in the park. 
I can ride bicycles with you on the trail. I'll even talk to you. But when you say surreal things, I won't respond. And when you talk about your sexual exploits, I will be, I refuse to go there. And I'll probably say, you know, my God won't allow me to do that. Because I'm separate. You get it? So that's not wrong, that's right. Yes or no? Yeah. Don't touch their filthy things, I welcome you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Second Corinthians 7, 1, because we have these promises, dear friends. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Wow. And let us work toward complete holiness. Now that challenge, am I completely holy? That is, is my lifestyle, my thoughts, my words, my musings, the things my eyes see, my ears hear, are they completely pristine and pure? If not, he said, clean up. Right? This is J.B. Phillips' translation of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. God's plan is to make you holy. And that means a clean cut with sexual immorality. Does that cut across our culture right now? Yes or no? My. Every one of you should learn to control his body, keeping it pure, treating it with respect, and never allowing it to fall victim to lust, as do pagans. In their temples all around with no knowledge of God. You cannot break this rule without cheating and exploiting your fellow men. Indeed, God will punish all who offend in this matter. As we have plainly told you and warned you, the calling of God is not to impurity, but to the most thorough purity. And anyone who makes light of the matter is not making light of man's ruling, but of God's command. It is not for nothing that the spirit God gives us is called the Holy Spirit. Now I've got two more passages. I'm going to read this and then we'll, we'll be done. I've actually got several more in my notes. You can get my notes and read them. And they'll be on the website hopefully tomorrow or so along with this uh, MP3, MP4. 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Run from sexual sin. How, how clear can that be? Does that, say, does that say look at pornography every once in a while and God will understand? No, it says run. This they say, well, you know, sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend. No, it says run. Huh? Well, you know, you got these desires. You're hungry, so you're supposed to eat. You have sexual desires. Fulfilled. No, it says run. Everybody say run. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself. Would you say that out loud? Would you read that out loud with me? You, you do, do not belong, belong to yourself. Say it again. You do not belong to yourself. One more time. You do not belong to yourself. <laughs> I could talk about that a long time with American culture and what we do with our bodies. We got the idea that we're the owner of our bodies. No, Jesus purchased your body with his blood on the cross. You don't have a right to do with it what you want because you like it. You're purchased. Yes or no? And if I'm going to honor God, I'm going to give Him my body. And that's what He says. For God bought you with a high price. So, you must honor God with your body. Listen to Ephesians 4. With the Lord's authority, I say this, now live no longer as the Gentiles do. Y'all can go up on the stage because I've got to close. 
For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Would that be American culture today or not? Huh? But this isn't what you learned about Christ since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on the new nature. That is, let what's on the inside come alive on the outside. Created to be like God, truly righteous, holy. Lastly, I've got to read this. Ephesians chapter 5 is so challenging in our Current culture. Listen, imitate God, the Apostle Paul says, therefore in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Therefore, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins... Have no place among God's people. Obscene stories. Would that be obscene movies? Huh? Obscene novels. Foolish talk. Coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. What does it mean to inherit the kingdom of Christ and God? Let me spell it out. It means go to heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if your eye caught, and they're speaking hyperbolically, hyperbole. Hyperbole is an intended exaggeration to get your attention real strong. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Ouch. And throw it away. It's better to go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, get you an axe and cut it off. Run to the doctor. Better to go through life with one hand. I mean, this hyperbole, he didn't mean, he didn't really mean if you cut your hand off, gouge your eye out. No, he was saying, friends, if you think that you can let your body do what it wants to do and be an impure person and go to heaven, you won't. That's what he's saying. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person's an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. If I want impurity more than I want God, I'm an idol worshiper. That's what he says. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. The anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things people do. These people do. For once you were full of darkness, can't you hear his heart is love? For you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. To live as people of light. This light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part. He keeps going in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. 
It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why it said, awaken, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead. Christ will give you light. He says a believer that's participating in the sins of their culture, they're asleep. They're asleep among the dead. Y'all, our culture desperately needs the new birth. How much am I praying for the people that I know to come to Jesus? How much am I asking God to give me opportunities to share Jesus with them? How much am I praying for their salvation? Or am I just decrying how bad and awful it is? How many hear me? Y'all, we, we, we have light within us. Jesus called us to be light, called us to be salt, called us to change our culture. Not to absorb our culture and become like it. Our God is holy. So unlike the contrived God of the American culture, the God of the Bible, there's one word that describes Him, and it's the word holy. 